You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Well, 2017 is off to a brilliant start. I think we'd all agree. I mean, we're only a few days into it, and I've heard the phrase golden showers on the news, which I think has to be a first. I don't, I, I don't remember a time when I've ever heard that phrase used uh, on the news before. So we're forging a new path. We are in uncharted territory. These are very exciting times. Who knows where it leads. Not so exciting was uh, Obama's farewell address, which he gave this week. I didn't watch it. I had, uh, well, I had, I was, I was busy doing literally anything else with my time, but, uh, I, I have been, th- read a little bit about the address and, uh, that's what you would expect. You don't expect it to be honest for him to get up there and say, geez, I really screwed this one up guys. My bad, man. I really screwed the pooch on this. Didn't I? Wow. Sorry about that, guys. Really? So sorry. No, he didn't say that. You wouldn't expect him to say that. Um, but, you know, he talked about his legacy and so forth. I've been, I've been thinking about this question of Obama's legacy as um, the discussion has turned in that direction. You know, what is the lasting impact of Obama, the, la- the, the lasting impression that he will leave? There are many answers there. Perhaps none of them terribly positive, but the one that really jumps out at me and uh, that's so incredible when you compare it against the legacy he was supposed to leave, leave, the legacy he was elected to leave, and uh, that legacy is this, the utter collapse of race relations in our country. It, It really is an amazing thing to behold when you think about it. That Obama comes along, the first black president, and race race relations were in a certain state when he took office, and look at the state they're in now when he leaves. It's the exact opposite of what he was supposed to do. Now, I can remember growing up, uh, being in elementary school, middle school, high school, and I went to school not not in the city, but... um, in a school not too far outside of Baltimore City, uh, public school in the suburbs, which meant that you know, there was a really wide array of human beings uh, that went to school with me for all t- 12 years. A lot of racial diversity, as they say, uh, many minorities, black, Hispanic, Asian, Jewish, were all represented in my school in a proportion that far exceeded that of the general population. In fact, you know, if I was hanging out with my friends and you were to take a picture of us, it would look like, you know, it would look, it looked like, uh, like the, the, the kind of assortment of friends that you would see in a Disney channel, uh, show about, you know, high schoolers that just, you've got the perfect, every type of person is represented. 
Um, you've got just a perfect rainbow of of uh, ethnicities, and that's how it really was. We didn't do it on purpose, but it just that's how it was for me and for a lot of people that I grew up with. Um, and it was completely normal. And I say all of this to say that growing up amidst diversity, the whole question of race relations never really dawned on me. I don't think it really dawned on a lot of us. Um, We all went to school together. We played on teams together. We ate lunch together. And we hung out together. And it was just normal. It was just life. You you never thought about it. And uh, when we talk about race relations, this is allegedly what we're shooting for, right? That everybody can just function together, get along. We, we aren't obsessed with, with or, or focused on the differences in skin tone and ethnicity. Not to say you don't notice it. Of course you notice it. You know, you notice that uh, you, if someone is a different race, you, you, you can physically notice that. And that's how it was for me growing up. You notice all the differences and you'd make jokes about it. You know, you would, you would, I would get jokes at me for being Irish, Catholic, whatever. I'd throw jokes back at them. It's just, just how we find it was no, it was all just normal. Wasn't, we didn't live in a utopia, but as far as the race and ethnicity stuff went, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and I thought that's what we were shooting for that. It's, it, it gets to a point where it's not really relevant. Not that it's irrelevant. But it's not relevant to how you interact with each other. People are just people and all that. I mean, th- these are the things that... This is what everyone said they wanted. And that's how it really was for me. And for most of the people that I grew up with. And I think that's how it was for a great number of people in my generation. Maybe not everybody. I know not everyone grew up in the same situation. And there may have been pockets in this country of racial tension and racism or whatever. But I think for many of us, um, this is how we grew up. Because until recently, you know, we didn't see, it's not like you had until recently, you didn't have race riots and all that going on. Um, In my generation, again, until recently, you heard about what happened in LA in the early 90s. Rodney King, you know, you were alive for it. I mean, I was born when it happened, but you don't really remember much about it. You're very young. And then you go through the Clinton and the Bush years, and there isn't really any of that. You've got the race hustling by Al Sharpton and those dudes. That's going on. You have incidents here and there. But there isn't this thick atmosphere of racial tension in the air. Uh, it, it, it wasn't there. At least not on a national scale. And not in my own experience. So things were fine. Not perfect. Maybe not fine generally. Certainly not fine generally. Things have never been fine in America since... Uh, or things have never been totally fine in the world since Adam uh, and, the, uh, and that whole uh, infamous business with the Apple. But in terms of the racial question, we were getting by and, uh, and it was okay. Then Obama comes along. The first black president. A guy who preemptively, remember, preemptively, he won a Nobel Prize. Merely in anticipation of the racial harmony he would create, he won a Nobel Prize. A racial harmony that uh, had maybe not been perfectly achieved up to that point, but it had been achieved to a greater degree than any other country had ever achieved it. We went through many, many years 
um, you know, almost a couple of decades, or you didn't have um, a lot of these kinds of incidents that we're having now, and that you have all over the rest of the world. But you know, Obama's going to be the great unifier, unifier, maybe the final unifier, and all of the remaining vestiges of racism will turn to ash in the light, the blinding light of the great Messiah, Obama. That's what we were told. That's what we were supposedly voting for. I didn't vote for him. I didn't believe it, okay? But uh, that's what a lot of people voted for. And then what happens? Well, he's a man steeped in identity politics. And identity politics rely on division. They rely on this calculation of you're this, I'm that, therefore you're oppressing me. This constant calculation, this constant assigning of labels and positions to people. You know, there always has to be you're the oppressor, I'm the oppressed. That's identity politics. You put a bunch of people in the room and some of them are being oppressed and some of them are doing the oppressing. It always has to be that way. There's this constant hierarchy, this pyramid scheme of victimhood that is all, always has to be adhered to. And suddenly, after America had come such a long way to ending racial oppression, was making such credible strides, and then finally, we elect a black guy, and it's at that moment that we suddenly become obsessed. And this is with Obama leading the way. We suddenly become obsessed with the oppressor-oppressed dynamic. And Obama goes out of his way to stoke the flame. He finds these small, very localized examples of disputes or altercations or violence between black people and white people or white Hispanic people in George Zimmerman's case. Makes him into a national issue. Remember the first one that he did was uh, very soon, very shortly after getting elected. Obama... Um, there's the whole beer beer summit thing, right? Was it that now I'm, I'm getting hazy on? There was the thing with the college professor and a and a, a police officer, and there was a white black thing going on, and there was some rudeness between two or something like that. I think it was a white police officer, black college professor, a total non incident. Yeah, you know, it just it totally didn't matter. It was not anything that was relevant on a national scale. And Obama finds this, any any puts it in front of the entire country. He makes it into a national incident. And that was with something where, you know, nobody was killed. And we saw what happened with that. And anyone who was paying attention thought, oh my goodness, you know, if he can do that with this kind of incident, what's going to happen? And the next thing you know, you have George Zimmerman. Not even a white guy, he's Hispanic, but shoots a black guy. You know, details are sketchy. And then it's, Game over. Obama takes it. He makes a statement about it in the Rose Garden. This local crime story puts himself into the middle of it. You know, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon. We all remember that. And this is what he does. With one incident after another, after another, after another. And he turns and he creates a national crisis. And next thing you know, we're witnessing things that my generation have never had never witnessed before. Race riots, these intense racial divisions, cops are getting mowed down. Now you've got 
you know, white people being abducted and tortured, looting, protests, marches, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And after seven years of Obama's racial identity politics, uh, then you have white people joining the fray and suddenly white nationalism comes out from the shadows. And we're all and, and, and we're all looking at this like, OK, this is what it looks like to live in a country where people are divided by race. This is what it looks like to live in that kind of country. This is the kind of country I heard about from my grandparents. And it took Obama, the first black president, to bring us back to that. It is incredible. I keep using this word incredible. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's actually not really incredible. Because those of us who were paying attention in 2008 during, and 2007 during the campaign, um, those of us who were paying attention and looking at the kind of man Obama is and was, at his politics, his identity politics, a lot of us said this is what's going to happen, that you're putting identity politics into the White House. And that's how he's going to, um, to govern. Then he's going to be obsessed with this. And he's going to try to stoke racial division. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. And he deserves a lot of the blame for what's happening now. I think there is this, um, there's this instinct among, uh, among some conservatives. And, I, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an in instinct that comes from a, a certain human decency. So I can respect it to a certain extent. But, uh, and I'm seeing it now in some conservatives, where Obama's leaving, you know, the president's leaving, and... They want to be respectful to him and they don't want to be too negative. And they want to say, well, look, he tried his best. He's a good man. Tried his best. Well, I do think he tried his best, but, but what was he trying to do? What did, he, what did he put his best efforts into doing is the question. And when you take all that into account, can you really say, well, this was a really good, decent person? I'm sorry, I don't see it. And it bears pointing out now, even as he's leaving, because guess what? He's leaving, but the situation, you know, the atmosphere that he created doesn't leave with him. That, that doesn't leave. The fact that, that police officers are, even, are in even greater danger now than they were before. The fact that now you have these racial groups looking at each other with suspicion. The fact that you have this, these violence, this violence and these riots that, 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 that you know, we hadn't seen for decades. You know, all that happening on a regular basis now. That doesn't leave with him. So he's like a, a guy who just tosses a grenade into a room and then walks away as it, as it explodes. It's like the scene in the movie where you know, the, the, the person walks away slowly as the as the uh, building blows up behind him in the background. That's Obama. Just walking away slowly to, his, uh, to Martha's Vineyard or wherever he's going as the country explodes in the background. And yeah, I blame him for a lot of that. For a lot of that. And he deserves the blame. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt here. It is truly despicable what he did. And he did it on purpose. And he did it over and over and over again. He never tried to heal these racial divisions. And after he exacerbated them, after he um, made them so much worse, he never reversed course to go back and try to change it. He never did. Given every opportunity. He was given another opportunity just this past week when the, when the uh, disabled white uh, kid was abducted and tortured. And 
you know, again, something that was never happening. You just, just wasn't happening before in, in my lifetime. And he had a chance to come out and maybe have a little bit of a come to Jesus moment to speak out forcefully about this, to denounce it, to say, hey, listen, you know, things have gotten worse. I, I accept some of the blame for that. But no, he came out and said, you know, things actually have gotten better. Things have gotten better, he said. And yeah, he denounced the, uh, well, he had no choice, but to den- someone was kidnapped and tortured for 48 hours. Of course, he has to denounce it. But he said one sentence about it, one sentence, and then moved on. He, he gave us one sentence on a kid who was abducted and tortured. Compare that to how many sentences he gave to a, you know, black college professor who felt that a police officer was rude to him. Or to any of these um, altercations between police officers and, you know, young black men. Even in, in, in the majority of cases where it turns out that the police officer was perfectly in the right. Think about how much time Obama devoted to that. How much attention he gave it. And this happens with this kid, and he says almost nothing. But he says only the bare minimum that he has to say. And why is that? Is that the behavior of a really good and decent person? A person of moral courage and strength? No. It's the behavior of a coward and a liar and uh, someone who's intensely manipulative. And I believe that's the case for him. And that will be his legacy. That will be his legacy. All right. That's it for me. I'll talk to you guys uh, next time. I appreciate it. Godspeed.